Yes, Rootsland family. Welcome to the season six bonus episode, and I'm here recording the episode live. Wait, 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 Henry. Here we what go. Do you mean, Sorry. I? You mean we? We're here. We're here recording the episode live at the Red Hills Cafe. Hello, everyone. Yes, I'm here with a crowd favorite of the show. Say hello. See ya. What do you want me to say? What you just said. Let's just say hello. Hello, hello everyone. This episode, I'm going to be reading and replying to a letter from one of the listeners. And we've been getting a lot of comments and emails and letters and notes, and especially to see you here. And she didn't trust me that I was going to be able to thank you properly. I didn't trust you. I just wanted to do it myself. Oh, go ahead. She didn't trust me, so she wanted to personally thank the listeners. Okay, the mic is yours. Go ahead. Thank you, everyone, for supporting us and for tuning in weekly Uh and showing us love. You see? I, I, I could have said And that. really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all those kind notes and letters. I really appreciate them. There was definitely a letter that stood out I wanted to... Don't tell a really long story. Just re- just read a letter. I'm not going to... See ya. I'm not going to give a long intro. I'm just... Gonna... Henry, come on, man. Uh, all right. All right. Let's get to the letter. The guy's right. Just misgoverned the world. Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica. From a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. Dear Henry, I have loved listening to your podcast and hearing your story. I especially appreciate how you talk about the power and meaning in Roots Reggae. Beyond the stereotype of white college freshmen, discovering Bob in a cloud of recreational contraband. I think I appreciate you sharing, since it makes me, a relatively square white guy, feel slightly less alone. Because I have spent most of my lifetime in reggae fandom somewhat alone. This is not to say there are no fans in my environment, but maybe not really the same type of fan. If I may be indulged, I'd love to share a bit of my story. I grew up in the suburbs of Salt Lake City, Utah. The place was and still is incredibly white and very much Mormon. I was and still am both of those things as well. I always gravitated towards music with meaning, preferring The Clash, Midnight Oil, and U2 as compared to my cohorts, who were solidly divided in two camps, of either Guns N' Roses or Bobby Brown. I liked the energy and message of that first wave punk, but I simply didn't have the anger needed to fully connect. I was much more the speed of the Smiths, but didn't have the requisite angst. Whatever my tastes, these were the days that were mostly limited to what local radio would play, what big box record stores offered, And what got rotations on MTV. My options and exposures were limited. Then it happened. I was walking down the street kicking rocks along the gutter. When I found an unmarked cassette. I picked it up, stuffed it in my pocket, and continued kicking rocks. These were the days of dubbing tapes from friends. And I was always in the need of an extra blank. I didn't give it much thought. Till I got home and pressed play. A man was speaking, and I couldn't understand a single word. I thought I could decipher some English, but it didn't help. Pure gibberish. But then, 
Hear the words of the Rastaman say, Babylon, your throne, come down, come down. Babylon, your throne, come down. I was instantly blown away. I had never heard anything like it. I loved it. You teach the youth about Christopher Columbus, and you said he is a very brave man. So you can't blame the youth when they don't learn. Something resonated. A bell rung. Light switched on. Whatever cliche works doesn't matter because it happened. The backbeat, the driving bass lines... It was one of the first times I ever remember music really making me feel like moving. Maybe even dancing. I couldn't decipher the talking, but the singing was clearly about the folly of a falling Babylon. It's glittering gold, colonial education, and the eventual victory of justice with a home in Zion. These were all themes I had been singing about in church every Sunday since my birth. But none of those hymns sounded this good. Nor did they hit me in the same way. It felt so good. But I had no idea who the artist was. Neither did my friends. I shared the tape with them. But they didn't hear or feel what I felt. Most of them just giggled or made faces. I was on my own. It wasn't till a year later that I heard a familiar sound coming from the room of my friend's older brother. I poked my head in and shyly asked, Who is that? He grinned at the stupid question and pointed through a cloud of incense at a poster on a wall. It's Bob Marley, you idiot. I have never been so grateful for an insult because now I knew where to get more Bob. That was decades ago and the feeling of that first listen has never really worn away. Since those days I have moved away from Utah studied American race relations in grad school, married a brilliant black woman, and started a family. And all the while, there has been reggae. My oldest daughter is named Marley. Her younger sister, Selah. I have read the Cabra Nagast, the Holy Pibby, the writings of both Marcus Garvey and Leonard Howell. I've sat around countless kava bowls with Tongans, Fijians, Samoans, not understanding a word of the conversation, just so I could be in a group that wanted to listen to Lucky Dubay. I love the music and the message. I have never tasted a drop of alcohol, never smoked anything, and sorry about this one, I have zero interest in the Grateful Dead. I'm not what people imagine when they think of a white reggae fan. I am neither a pothead nor hippie, but deep in my soul, I yearn for a Zion people. Here on earth, I want equal rights and justice. I yearn for less materialism, consumerism, and for Bujus, low-budget people, to have not just peace, but respect. I could go on and on. My story has never really been told. But who cares about my story? I just wanted to share a bit, and let you know I'm enjoying yours. <laughs> 
Signed, Dalen. Wow, Dalen, I love that. Thank you so much, really. Thanks for taking the time to send such a meaningful letter. Only next time, maybe you can try not upstaging the host by writing such a beautiful letter. You know, you can take it down a notch or two. We'll, we'll still get the message. But that being said, I do take exception with that little part at the end. About your story not being told, or no one caring to hear it. Personally, I think it's a little early in the game to make that call. My brother, your story hasn't even been written. You're still on the preface. Maybe you've reached the introduction. But to me, sounds like there's still a long way to go. You see, all your life experiences, from those years going door-to-door spreading the Gospels from the Book of Mormon, to stopping that day, and picking up that worn-out reggae cassette and connecting to its message, do you really think any of that was by accident? Or part of some grand design that's constructing a story that's now become even bigger than you? It's evolved. It's still evolving. It's more than the places you've been, or the people you've met, the books you've read, or even that brilliant wife. It's about how you can take all that love, and energy, and understanding, and pass it on to your daughters, Marley and Selah, and how those two beautiful children will take all that love and wisdom and understanding, and use it to accomplish all their dreams, and hopefully at the same time, make the world a better place, because we need them. We really need them right now. We're in a time that's become increasingly hostile towards those willing to stand up and fight injustice. It's getting harder and harder every day for people just to do the right thing. Not to mention we grew up in a world where even the most skeptical were taught only to believe what we see with our own eyes or hear with our own ears. But now for our children and grandchildren, that's not even true. This is a new world. And I'm sorry to say it's anything but brave. It's cowardly and deceptive and misleading with every voice claiming to be the truth and everyone with irrefutable proof to back up their claim. So now more than ever, it's time to teach our children, the next generation, how to be objective thinkers. Show them how to trust their instincts and when in doubt, to look within and listen to the most important voice of all, their voice inside. For Marley and for Selah, it's going to be your voice that they hear, their father's voice. That's going to be the sound that will guide, comfort, and protect them for the rest of their lives. I promise you, Dalen, one day your story will be written, your book complete. And from what I could hear, it's a masterpiece already. And you know what? Don't ever stop telling it. No matter who wants to hear. Try to fool the whole population By telling us Jaja dead Say them try to fool the whole population By telling us Jaja dead I and I knows that Jano dead Jano dead Jano dead Jano dead 
Speaking of masterpieces and telling stories that need to be heard, reggae lost a powerful and authentic voice last month. And I'd like to take a few moments to pay tribute to one of the most revolutionary and underrated singers of my generation. What is it that defines a reggae artist? The eternal question. And something we've explored since the very first season of Rootsland. It's not about where you're born or the color of your skin or even how you wear your hair. It's a quality that emanates from within. All right then. Truth. That's it. Yes. It must be truth. Above all, when a man lies, he murders some part of the world. You should know that. Yeah, exactly. What the magician Merlin just said. When a man lies, he does murder some part of the world. Which is why truth is perhaps the most important quality in a reggae singer. And to be even more specific, the willingness to speak truth to power, which is an expression we've been hearing a lot about these days. When one feels the moral imperative to stand up for what's right, regardless of whether it's the popular thing to do, even at the risk of losing your friends and family, livelihood, maybe even life, there are very few people in the world who are willing to do it. And trust me, even fewer in the music business. Sinead O'Connor came to Kingston to record her seventh studio album, Throw Down Your Arms, released in October 2005. Named after the Burning Spear song, Winston Rodney's proclamation that the armies of the world put down their weapons of war and embrace Rasta love and unity. Produced by Sly and Robbie and backed by an ensemble of reggae A-listers, Sinead wails her way through a catalog of both classic and new reggae tunes. Songs by Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, Burning Spear, and the Abyssinians, just to name a few. These weren't your standard cookie-cutter reggae tunes that blast on sunset booze cruises in Montego Bay. No, these were some of the genre's deep cuts. Some of reggae's most prolific titles. Material spanning decades. Obviously curated and sung by someone with a deep affinity and love for both reggae and Rastafari. I mean covering Lee Scratch Perry's Vampire and Buju Banton's Untold Stories on the same LP. That's some pretty hardcore fandom. Throw Down Your Arms was financed entirely out of Sinead's pocket and released on her own label. And initially it was met with mixed reviews. One music critic from the popular website Pitchfork skeptically writing, quote, At the end of the day, though, I'm a bit puzzled over why the world would need an album of Sinead O'Connor reggae covers. End quote. You know, if you ask me, I think the author of that article is puzzled, period. And perhaps really just didn't get the album's true purpose or understand the motivations behind it. 
I don't think it was ever about the world needing an album of Sinead O'Connor reggae covers. I think it was about Sinead O'Connor needing an album of reggae covers. This record is deeply personal, a journey of healing and reclamation. It's a love letter to a higher power, and it actually makes perfect sense. Like everyone else on the planet, I vividly remember the commotion surrounding Sinead's appearance on Saturday Night Live in October 1992, when she looked straight into the camera and tore up a photo of Pope John Paul II on live TV. I mean, wow, who doesn't remember that? In Jamaica, the reaction she received from the Rastafarian community, I can guarantee you was much different than it was on Main Street USA. To the Rastas who had vilified the church and had held countless popes responsible for condoning slavery and turning a blind eye to the destruction of the African continent, that night Sinead O'Connor became a folk hero. It had been the bravest, most Rasta thing that any artist had done since Bob Marley brought Michael Manley and Edward Siaga on stage at the One Love Peace concert 15 years earlier to have the bitter rivals join hands in unity. That night in 1992, Sinead O'Connor sacrificed it all. She was dropped by her record label, blacklisted by the industry, ignored by people she thought were her friends. Her career would never recover, and the stress would take a toll on her mental health. As a child, Sinead was a victim of both physical and sexual abuse at the hands of someone who was supposed to love and protect her. When she tore up that picture of the Pope, It was a sign of support and solidarity to all those who, like herself, had been victimized, betrayed, ignored as children by the very people that were supposed to be taking care of them. She became the voice for a generation unable to speak up for themselves. But who was there to speak up for Sinead? Who was there to comfort her? The answer was Rastafari and reggae music. Garvey words come to pass Marcus Garvey words come to pass Ain't got no food to eat Which brings me right back to why there's nothing that makes more sense than Sinead O'Connor recording an album of reggae covers. Reggae music just didn't magically appear in the 1960s and 70s. Its origins go back to the very beginning of mankind, when we first started banging on wood covered in animal hides. Reggae made that transatlantic journey on the cramped, overcrowded slave ships from Africa to Jamaica in the form of songs and stories and rhythms and dances. Reggae survived 400 years of beatings and rape and torture. And still, after all it's been through, all the hardships and against all odds, it's managed to survive and flourish and become even stronger, more popular and more global than ever. And the reason is reggae music's unique ability to absorb pain and suffering and torment and release it back into the world as love, hope and promise. 
which is exactly what you hear when you listen to the album Throw Down Your Arms. The angelic voice of a young woman who had been beaten down by the system in every conceivable way, physically and emotionally, yet able to rise up and shine, radiate with love and life. This is forever how I will remember Sinead O'Connor, not as a victim, but as a conquering lioness, a true reggae singer by every definition, and I'm sure she's still burning fire on Babylon. Will 